I'm Nita Zachary, and this is The Zigzag Leap, brought to you by Permission to Leap. For years, I've been talking to people about having permission to take a leap of faith. We all know that life doesn't happen in a straight line, so how do you overcome your past and possibly current circumstances to live the life you were created for? Stick around to hear our guest answers that will lend you some courage to give yourself permission to leap, no matter how twisted the path may be. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Zigzag Leap. Today, I am talking to Laurel Ann Porter. Um, Laurel Ann, could you take a moment and introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Laurel Ann Porter, and I am a shaman. I made the decision to become a shaman uh, about seven or eight months ago. And so I did take a big leap um, out of a full-time position as a professor at a university. Um, and over the course of the last 18 months, I sort of, I went through my own kind of physical and mental health crisis and just started really asking myself some deep questions about what I was doing, why I was doing it, and how I could be already living my best life without having to play this pretend role that I had found for myself. <laughs> sort of happenstance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I love this idea of the zigzag leap because I have a, a master's in playwriting. I have a PhD in theater and performance of the Americas. Um, I'm a singer, songwriter, filmmaker. Um, and I have always had people tell me in my life that I need to focus on one thing. But it isn't until deciding to become a shaman that I realized all of those different aspects are actually helping me to do what I believe that I am meant to do in life. So, that. yeah, so the shaman's work, I help people um, take a look at their life. So part of what I learned as a doctoral student was what we call critical autoethnography. And the skills of critical autoethnography are of really taking that deep look at yourself to ask yourself, what are the systems and structures in my life that are preventing me from living my best life? Hmm. What are the learned habits and beliefs that are not allowing me to live my best life? Yes. And what can I do to live more truly and authentically for my own being? And so that's kind of one aspect to, to what I'm doing with my new business, um, the healing business. And also the creative writing aspect. So what I have learned after many, many years of teaching and teaching creative writing specifically is that quite often it's not necessarily the end product that we are worried about mm -hmm. in creative writing. It's really creative writing for transformation. It's the creative writing to tap into that spirit that wants to express itself. Um, and so sometimes the creative writing we do is really just for ourselves. Right. Um, but it's a way to tap into tap into our higher self. Um, and, you know, my first job teaching was actually teaching English to business people in Brazil when I lived there. Wow. And, <laughs> right. And I never thought I wanted to be a teacher. My mother was a piano teacher and she worked in the elementary schools too. But I thought, oh, that's great that my mother does that. I never thought I wanted to be a teacher. And so it was you know, I happened to be a native English speaker who was living in Brazil. And so people wanted to pay me a lot of money just to sit and talk with them. 
that's one way to do it. <laughs> right. But then at the same time, I also learned, you know, some pedagogy and some things you have to do to actually help the person learn as opposed to just right. you know, sit and talk. Um, and so it's really funny that just out of that one experience, I ended up teaching for 20 years <laughs> in a variety of settings. I've taught high school, I've taught middle, middle school, I've taught at the university level, you know, I've taught in a lot of different capacities. And I realized in my recent job as a professor, and I was running a program, that my favorite part of the job was advising my students, which hmm. was only about you know 10 or 25% of the job. Right. And I thought, well, why am I doing all this other you know, stuff that that isn't as rewarding and fulfilling for me? And how can I jump into something that is more rewarding and fulfilling? Wow. Okay. So how did you get from that point of teaching for 20 years to becoming a shaman? Like, cause that's a huge leap. Yeah. <laughs> it is a huge leap. In fact, there have been a few moments where I've realized, okay, I jumped off the cliff. Is, do I have wings yet? Is there anything below me? <laughs> They're coming. They're coming. Yeah. Um, so I do have to say that I first wanted to be a shaman 20 years ago when I read the book Shaman Healer Sage by Alberto Viodo, who runs the Four Winds Society, which is where um, I'm finishing up my training, my certificate program. But 20 years ago, I just didn't think it was possible. 20 years ago, I thought it sounds very romantic. It sounds very exciting. It sounds very adventurous. But that's not the reasonable thing to do. That's not the rational thing to do. That's not the responsible thing to do. And I, mm -hmm. I, I just read the book, enjoyed it, and dreamt and didn't go any further. Um, I did convince one of my best friends to do the training. She was crazy enough to do it. <laughs> and that was back when all the training first. was in person. Yeah, you go first. Um, and it was amazing. And so when I was going through this um, kind of mental health crisis, and looking at what I really, truly wanted to do, that's when I started looking into who have been my, the people that have really influenced me, either they were mentors or they were someone whose work really influenced me. And I said, I need to figure out what Alberto and the Four Winds are doing. And uh, okay. turns out they're doing, they're doing all of their teaching online now. Nice. Um, and I think they had actually started it before COVID happened. So, um, you know, being shamans, I suppose they have a little bit of insights that maybe most people don't. Right. And so I realized um, that I needed to do this. And I also realized that a lot of the stresses and frustrations that I was facing in the university, um, you know, the, I, I hate to say it as much as I love and appreciate learning in all forms and higher learning, how valuable it can be. Mm -hmm. um, the structures, I think, are not really designed to empower people. The structures right. are designed to be gatekeepers. The structures yeah. are designed to reward status quo. Um, bureaucracy in a university system takes a very long time to change. Yes. And, and I felt like, I felt like after 20 years of teaching, I felt like I was a language cop and I was just not really interested in policing people's language anymore. Um, I love that. Yeah. I just feel like right now that's just not where I want to be. I understand the importance of language, but it just didn't feel, it just didn't feel honest to who and what I want to be. Right. That makes sense. Considering that your degree is in playwriting and that's like all about creative writing and expression and being who you are as you do these things. 
right? Right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, and then there was, uh, I won't go into details, but there was a bit of a, um, you can't really call it a contract dispute, but there was um, something about our contracts that all of us in that in our campus had been um, advocating to change. Mm -hmm. And when it came through as not gonna change, um, I just saw that as a sign that, okay, I don't, right. I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to fight the fights that I'm not gonna win and waste all that energy when I could be using that energy for something else. Exactly, exactly. So you've been on this winding path through teaching in Brazil, teaching in high school and college and all these places. And I'm sure you've picked up all these things along the way, all kinds of skills and natural abilities have come forth. So how did you come to understand that the various life paths can all converge into one life path? Oh gosh, it was really such a beautiful experience because, um, so when I when I found out in the summer of 2020 uh, that I had diagnosis of fibromyalgia, depression, anxiety, and rheumatoid arthritis, those in that order, that's what I was diagnosed with. Oh, wow! So I took a medical leave, and and like I said, I was doing that practice of critical autoethnography where I was asking myself, you know, what what do I do? What do I love? What do I not love? What mm -hmm. do I want to maintain in my life? What do I not want to maintain in my life? And that's when I started to realize that my singing doesn't have to be compartmentalized into its own box. In fact, uh, I've been calling myself the singing shaman because in, in one of my visions, one of the ancestors came through and she was like, don't forget to sing. I love it. And so once I started bringing singing into my healing practices, my clients were like, don't get rid of that. That's, you know, and singing is a vibration. And so mm -hmm. when that singing vibration is combined with the intention to offer healing energy to someone, it really it adds this really nice synergy to, to the work. Um, and I realized that all of the things I learned as a performance study scholar mm -hmm. were really focused on ritual and how to make a, a, a good ritual, how to, how to make ceremony, how to create sacred space, how to create an event that has a meaningful experience for the people who attend that event. And so that came in and made itself as like, oh, so that PhD wasn't a waste of time and money, you know, because those things ended up being really valuable. Right. And even, um, you know, just the, the things that I had been doing just for my own gratification of uh, doing tarot for myself and for my friends and realizing that I just happened to have a, a, a facility with it. You know, people are like, oh, you're so intuitive. And I didn't really think I was doing much. I was just, you know, yeah, interpreting the cards. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't, I don't do, um, I don't treat the tarot as like fortune telling or reading the future. I treat the tarot as counsel. Like right. when you're uncertain about something and you just need a little extra guidance, the tarot is very good at just giving you whatever nudge your higher self wants you to go in. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I started realizing how all of these things, the singing, the creative writing, ritual and ceremony, um, even decolonial practices that I learned in my PhD program, like how to make sure that what we're doing in the world um, is empowering for as many people as possible and right. not perpetuating systems of power that, that would disempower people. Mm -hmm. So it was really a beautiful way of seeing all that. And even 
the um, I've done several different kinds of meditation. Um, I've been doing ancestral healing. So even between all of these different healing modalities, to see how they overlap and support each other has also been a really wonderful way to confirm that our lives are like that as well. The different things we do and the different things we've learned all um, influence each other. And even the fact that I, so our band is named The Rhythm and the Flavor. Mm -hmm. And we decided on that name um, because in conversations, my partner, he was like my sounding board when I was getting my PhD. And we realized when you want to get to know another culture, the two things you need to experience are the rhythms and the flavors. Yes. And so that really became, you know, uh, holistically for our business, it just became the right name to use. Um, that's and awesome. yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it just, it sticks. It's who, it's who we are. It feels really good. Um, now, of course that, you know, having fibromyalgia, anxiety, depression, and rheumatoid arthritis, um, unfortunately in our Western medical system, not all of our doctors have particularly good, um, bedside manner and not all of them. This is true. <laughs> Not all of them take the time to actually really care and see what are the root causes of our unwellness. Mm -hmm. And so I had a doctor that was like, oh, well, you just need to lose weight and then all your problems will go away. And, uh, wow. you know, I thought, okay, well, it's not that I haven't been trying that for decades. <laughs> wow. So what I, what I did, I basically reinvented my relationship to food. And as of right now, um, I would say it's been several months that I've had very, very few flare-ups at all and physical symptoms. That's wonderful. Yeah. And part of that is because, um, so first I worked with a naturopath to do a six-week food elimination protocol mm -hmm. uh, to see what foods, you know, are, are actually allergens for me. Um, and then when I started the shaman training program, he also has a program he calls Grow New Body, where I really learned how to treat food as sacred fuel and to understand how all my evening snackings are not at all fuel. <laughs> I mean, if anything, they were fuel oh, for unhealthy habits. <laughs> um, and so that really, so when people say, oh, you just have to lose weight, it's not, I don't even care how much I weigh. I don't, I've never cared. I don't have a scale in my house. Um, but my acupuncturist, his, uh, the woman at the front desk the other day called me the incredible shrinking woman. I just happened to have lost, you know, I don't, I, at this point, I don't know, it's probably about 50 pounds or so. Um, and that, and it's just because I made the decision to not use food as comfort anymore. Mm -hmm. And I went through these processes to explore how does my body feel when I introduce this food that I used to eat back in. And so I started to realize that sugar is awful for me. It makes me feel nauseous and tired. Bread is awful for me. You know, any of the wheat products is awful for me. It just makes uh -huh. me feel nauseous and tired. And once you feel that in your body, right, it makes it a lot easier to make the decisions to just not eat those things anymore. Makes sense. Yeah. You know what's making you sick? Don't eat it. 
Yeah. But it does take that ability to tap into what our body's feeling, right? Exactly. So you've got to step back. Like you said, the elimination diet, like it removes all those things and then you slowly put them back in. It's like, oh, so you're the one. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, One of the things we were talking about earlier was your dream consultations. And then you just mentioned the tarot and I know you use those two in conjunction. So I want to ask you about that. And then something else you just said about ancestral healing. Oh, great. Wonderful. So yeah, so what I do is I have something I call dream tarot. And I've trained with um, Steven Eisenstadt at the Pacifica Graduate Institute. Um, I'll be finishing up their uh, level one certificate in January. Um, And I have trained uh, a little bit with Joseph Dillard, who does integral deep listening. And Um, I've also just always been fascinated by dreams my whole life. And so having been, I I even had an entire screenplay come to me in a dream. Um, The entire thing? Well, I mean, the details I had to work out, but essentially, yeah, the story just came to me in a dream. So um, what I do is I take some of the skills that I've learned in both dream tending with Steven Eisenstadt and integral deep listening with Joseph Dillard. And I spend about a half an hour with a person who's got a dream that they're curious about. And Mm -hmm. it might be a dream that is a recurring dream. It might be a dream that really stuck with them from childhood. It might be a nightmare. Or it might just be, you know, the dream they had this week that they're curious about. Um, And then we spend about 30 minutes understanding um, what's that person's context. So like what's going on in their lives at the time they had the dream, what's in there going on that's making them think about it again, if it was a recurring dream. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, oh, let's get a dream dictionary, but dream dictionaries are, they're, they're not that useful because each one of us has our own subconscious and our own higher self that talks to us in our own set of signs and symbols. And so, you know, a motorcycle or teeth might mean one thing to someone else and something right. you know, different to someone else. Um, there are some common themes generally, if you're dreaming of your home, it's usually representative for like your physical body. That's our vessel while we're here on this physical plane. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, oceans tend to represent the deep subconscious or deep emotions. Kind right. of so, so we spend about 30 minutes finding out what actually that person's set of symbols are and context are that can help them through um, understanding the dream. Then I've developed this tarot spread, which works to access the symbols from the dream and symbols from the tarot and kind of put them in conversation with each other. And what I found happens is that it's it's enough of a bit of a trick to get messages from our subconscious more clearly. Because a lot of times our subconscious and our higher self, they don't really talk to us in literal terms. They don't give us straight up messages that says, go do this, <laughs> right? And so sometimes we have to sort of trick ourselves into getting the message in other ways. Mm-hmm. And so that doing that tarot spread to deepen and activate the dream that we've just encountered um, is is really fruitful. It's really productive. And I even did one, I was doing a demo for somebody and I just did one on a a silly dream I had just had, you know, the night before about making cookies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I still don't know what the cookies mean. And then by the time I got to the end of it, I realized 
Um, cause I don't even eat cookies anymore. Right. I don't right. eat sugar or wheat. So, but I love making cookies for people. I love making for my son. I love making them and gifting them to people. And I realized that those cookies were my offering of this is what I love. And this is what I'm offering with love to the world. I love that. Right. I love that. Um, you mentioned ancestral healing and I know that Sometimes, you know, that can come through in dreams. It can come through like just in daily life. What is ancestral healing and how does it work in context with what you do? Yeah. So ancestral healing, I learned about from um, just a woman that I knew locally from a women's networking group. Um, and she has been practicing this for a while. She studied with Daniel Four. I think I even have the book right here. Um, so Daniel Four wrote this book called Ancestral Medicine. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is it is a system for um, tapping into the lineages that have contributed to where we are now. So, um, and I, I feel like as a person who has only received ancestral medicine and not done it, I may, you know, miss, please, please, uh, if you're listening, get the book, find someone who does it and is certified in it. But for me personally, what I have found is that, you know, we all, we all have, um, we all have ancestral wounds. We all have, some people, even the shamans in the Andes call them generational curses. Uh And it might be something genetic, like a disease that gets passed down, or it might be something that's not genetic, like abuse or alcoholism that gets passed down. And I learned years ago from another woman who does um uh she's got a yoruba lineage who also does ancestral healing that we as humans have an obligation to heal seven generations back i've heard that yep and that whatever we do now is going to affect seven generations forward and so if we heal generations back and forward um then we're actually just creating a better world for everyone to live in right and so um what I have experienced as part of the ancestral healing has been really beautiful. I've had, um, like I said, I had the one ancestor who, who told me, don't forget to sing. And so I've been actually working with singing as sound healing as well, which has been really wonderful. And um, can I tell a little story about what, what, okay. So this is, this is a story of how things overlap with um, ancestral healing and shamanic medicine. So, um, I, my mother um, was abused as a child and it would happen to her while she was doing the dishes. And um, we've known this, my family has known this for you know probably 20 years or so. And it's just been something that we don't generally talk about publicly, but it's there. And as part of one of the meditation practices I was doing uh, with Chloe Cousins, a woman in the UK, she teaches this thing called connect, accept, detach. So when you get triggered, feel what the emotion is, go ahead and connect to it, accept that it's totally valid to feel that feeling, and then let it go. And um, and so there was just one day that I was um, washing the dishes, getting ready for some friends to come over. I think some of my friends had just gotten vaccinated. And so I was like, yay, let's have a dinner party. And, um, and I was just tidying up, doing the dishes. And I got really irked. And I was like, why am I always doing the dishes? And and then I stopped and I was like, that's a really irrational 
thing to be feeling right now. Why am I so upset about doing the dishes? And then I remembered the trauma that my mother experienced when she was doing the dishes. And then I also remembered that my own son, two of his jobs has been dishwasher. And I just got really emotional and I started crying. And then I went to a uh, just a, a quiet corner of the house and I did one of my very basic shamanic healing practices. And I literally felt a thread of energy going forward out of my belly and backwards out of the small of my back, backwards heading toward my mother and grandmother and forward heading towards my son. Wow. And it was so profound. And then um, I, I said to my friends that came over, I told them the story and I said, you're going to be witnesses. And I said, some healing is happening somewhere. I don't know how it's going to come through. I don't know what's happening. Three days later, my father called me telling me that my mother was doing better than she has done in years. Wow, that's awesome. Right? Isn't that wild? Wow. Yes. Yeah. So it just, it feels palpable when you experience something like that, when you right. see that sometimes it's just a matter of energetically clearing the trauma to make it easier to, to create healthier habits, to change your belief systems, that when we do those kinds of things, um, I like to call it, as a shaman, I like to call what I'm doing, I'm holding a magnifying glass. So when a person comes to me for assistance with healing, Mm -hmm. It's actually not me that's doing the healing. It's the person and spirit who are doing the healing. Right. I hold the container and I magnify the efforts so that it makes it easier for them to do the healing that they need. Nice. I like that. I think that's a good reminder too, that no matter who it is that you're connecting with for, you know, facilitating your healing, it's still between you, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's, that's a personal connection that you have to do. And all they really can do is hold the container. They can't fix you. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And believe me, I've had to tell myself, stop trying to fix people. Stop trying to fix people. <laughs> it would be so much easier if we could though. <laughs> well, and usually that means we have to fix ourselves if we're too busy trying to fix other people. Yeah. But it's so much easier to fix other people. Right. <laughs> oh. Quick question for you. What are the 12 essential steps to healing? Like, I know you have um, a program that you take people through. And of those 12, which one's the most essential? Mm, I'm going to look at my little cheat sheet on the wall over Go here. Go for it. Boy, it is really hard to say which one of those would be the most essential. Um, because they re they really, they, they support each other, they feed on each other. So it's not enough to do a nutritional reboot. Um, mm -hmm. And I also don't think you can do a nutritional reboot without the other support helping, like releasing your past wounds. Um, honoring your ancestors, getting in touch with your psyche, doing shadow work. I would say, you know, I think a lot of people that do this kind of work would agree that shadow work may be the most important because it's either skipped a lot of times or it's glossed over. And it's also, I think, probably one of the hardest things to do. Like, Which is why it's skipped and glossed over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. We had this, um, this, uh, uh, it was the, the period in our training when we were doing a lot of shadow work. And I was like, I don't understand how, um, you know, looking at the political landscape today, it's very easy to, to point fingers and say, oh, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a fascist and I'm not that and I'm separate from that. And when I was asking, you know, my, my instructors, you know, I don't understand how I can look at someone like 45, whose name I still won't say. And thank you. Right. And if he triggers me, then am I like, am I secretly racist? And they were like, no, 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 you have, you have to actually understand that we all have these things about ourselves. It's just that you might not act on it. And I thought, oh man, I was scared. I was terrified. I didn't want to be that person. Right. Then they they also told us the story of uh, Mother Teresa. And the reason Mother Teresa went into the work that she did was because she saw the Hitler in herself and didn't want to be that. And I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, Yeah. shadow work is hard. It's hard to face things about ourselves that trigger us. Yeah. And it's usually the thing that most irritates you about somebody else, it's like, you might want to take a little look inside. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Yes. yes. But it is hard to admit like there could possibly be something wrong with me, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, it's also good to remember that sometimes it's a positive shadow. Mm-hmm. Like when I, 20 years ago, when I looked at shamans as being this sort of wonderful, romantic, adventurous ideal, that's because I had it in me as well. And I wasn't willing to accept it. I'm glad you said that because nobody focuses on that part. Nobody generally mentions the positive shadows. Right. And so it's like that other side of yourself that you're just not acknowledging good or bad. You're just not acknowledging that piece of it. Exactly. And we all have good and bad things about us. We all have things that we are blaming on others that are our own things. We all have things that we should mm-hmm. embrace that are our, you know, glorious, beautiful aspects that we are like, no, 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 I don't want to want to say that is true about myself. So it's, it's, uh, and you know, I had an experience the other day, I was um, texting back and forth with a friend. And she was saying something about how, oh, someday I'll get there. I think I was just sort of talking about how grateful I was that I've been feeling a lot of release and shifts recently. Uh-huh. And she said, oh, someday I'll get there. And then I realized it's always today. Whenever it's today. we're ready, it's today. Uh-huh. And, you know, I've I found myself with that someday comment, you know, someday, someday, someday. And it's like, you know what, if you just start with one point of gratitude and it it seems really simplistic and cheesy, but if you just start with like, what are you grateful for in this moment? It's like, okay, maybe this thing that you're grateful for is something that you prayed for way back when. So where you are now was your someday at some point. (laughs) So just understand your someday is always, like you said, it's always today. Yep. 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 And at my my latest motto is to see beauty everywhere and choose joy. Oh, I love that. See beauty and choose joy. See beauty, choose joy. Yep, that's my new motto. Um, what is your definition of permission? Because you've had all of these leaps and jumps and twists and turns and a lot of revelation, especially like you said, um, over the last 18 months. So what is your definition of permission and has it changed over the course of this 
experience? Yeah, well, and I, I think that probably the most important way to look at permission is giving ourselves permission. So allowing ourselves to say yes to what we know we need and want to say yes to, and allowing ourselves to say no to things that we just don't want to include in our environment anymore. Um, and so for me, part of that was saying no to a job that was very stable and paid all my bills. Right. And, you know, to say, no, that's actually not for me anymore, giving myself and you know, permission, it's it's author it's authority over ourselves. Therein lies the crux of the problem. Right. Sometimes we feel like we're giving everybody else authority. Right. But if we take that authority back and we take like we just have to be advocates for our own selves and that's what gives oh, us permission. That. Yeah. I like that. What do you wish you had known before you started all of this? Oh boy. Um I mean, I wish I would have known that I could have done it way sooner. <laughs> right? 20 um, years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I also I also think that um You know, there are financial realities to quitting a job. Mm -hmm. And if I had known in June how I might have strategically organized assets in a better way, I think mm -hmm. I could have had a smoother transition. That I mean, I, I still feel pretty grateful that my my transition has been fairly smooth, but, you know, mm -hmm. it has not been without its stressors of like, I don't know where the money's coming from. <laughs> yes, totally understand that. Right, right. Um, so, but I think if I, if I had maybe just done a little more consulting with people who have a little more savvy with financial matters than I do, I could have maybe planned a longer launch, you know, take off my runway right. was a little short <laughs> short runways sometimes work right right you yeah. you up there and off that cliff so exactly <laughs> so what are you glad that you didn't know oh you know I, I think I almost would say the same thing because if I had thought that it was going to be hard financially I'm not sure that I would have made the commitment to do it that's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. Especially after you've had the security for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the latest, my latest lesson this week, because I feel like doing this work, there's lessons every week. <laughs> um, my latest lesson is how to release, how to just release and let go. And I've been hearing that lesson over and over and over again. And, and because I tend to be a person who likes to have control over my life, I just don't know that I really knew how to trust that I'm doing the work I was meant to do. And I'm just going to trust that I will be taken care of. I think that is the hardest part of the leap, especially when your leap involves leaving like the secure financial stability. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, you tend to think, you know, I'm on my own. I have 
I have to do this all myself. But again, trusting that you are taken care of, you were created to do, you know, whatever this next step is, you were created for this faith, um, this, this leap that you're taking. Yeah. It's, it's still nerve wracking sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's still really hard. It's still really hard, but it, I realized releasing is a whole lot more effortless. And the way I learned it is, um, there's a particular practice that we were doing as one of our final initiation rites. And mm -hmm. it was, we have this practice, we do breath of fire, which is a very quick, like <laughs> kind of practice. Mm -hmm. And that breath of fire practice was combined with um, this, this uh, thing we do where we actually channel energy directly from source. And so we have our, our medicine stones arranged in this, this way that we're going to be, you know, calling in for a quantum leap shift in our reality, channeling that source. And I was, and I, and they're like, you have to do it until you break through the energetic membrane. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what that means, but I'll try. <laughs> right. And so I, there I was, you know, doing my breath of fire and I was, and then I went until I couldn't go anymore. And I thought, I don't, was that it? I don't think that was it. And then I remembered when they taught us how to do the breath of fire, the inhale in humans is an autonomic response. We don't ever have to focus on the inhale, uh -huh. just focus on the exhale and the inhale happens automatically. And so I remembered that. And so I started again and I just did, you know, I did my, I was going and 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 going and, going and bam felt an instant headache in my all around my crown and it, it freaked me out a little. I was like almost in convulsions. And then I just channeled the energy down into the stones that were around me. And then the headache went away. And I realized that inhale is supposed to be my metaphor for money. Just do the work and you'll be rewarded. Wow. You know, the problem with that is that when we get scared, we tend to hold our breath. So the exhale doesn't happen. <laughs> like you can't break through because you're not exhaling. Therefore, you can't inhale. Oh, well. right. Okay, so that's a whole lot of lessons right there. <laughs> right, right. I didn't mean to. Sometimes it gets overwhelming, but there's a lot. I've been through so much in the last 18 months, and I'm just loving sharing it with people. That's awesome. So I'm going to put the notes for the 12 steps um, of the House of Flavor underneath the video. Okay. And it'll also be um, in the show notes of the podcast. So where else can people find out more about you and what you're working on? Uh, they So I have several different channels. You can go right to the website houseofrhythmandflavor.com. And houseofrhythmandflavor.com is um, flavor spelled the American way, not the British way. Um, and rhythm is R-H-Y-T-H-M. Um, and I'm also on Instagram as The Rhythm and The Flavor and Facebook as Rhythm and Flavor. You can also follow. I do a lot of public stuff as Laurel and Porter just on Facebook and on Instagram. Okay. Um, and I do have um, a Facebook group called uh, what did I call it? Healthy cooking with flavor, which is where I was doing uh, reviews of some of the food prep services that I was using, um, especially in terms of like for those of us who want to be gluten free, dairy free, um, maybe not necessarily specifically vegan, but at least being very conscious of what animal products right. we take in. Um, 
And I'm also December 1st, I'm going to be starting another nutritional reboot. So if anybody wants to join that Facebook group, it's totally free. Um, and I can kind of help support people as they're going through um, getting rid of all the bad things, starting from zero, eating really healthy organic plants for about three weeks, and then, you know, adding things in after that. Good. Adding things in just in time for Christmas. Right? <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you um, and yeah. the information that you shared. was. And awesome. thank you so much, Nisha, for hosting this and for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. All right. All right, everybody. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Permission to Leap, go to permissiontoleap.com and subscribe to our email list. When you do, we'll send you a digital leap guide. Thanks again and talk to you next time.